In our series on the book of Revelation, we've been working our way through the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in what then they knew as Asia, today we know it as Turkey. And each week as we've read these letters, I've been saying um, that we need to be paying attention to these because it's going to be a bit like waiting for the mailman to come. Because these letters are not just written to the churches in Turkey back in John's day, uh, they're also written for the church of today. And one of these letters, or at least one of these letters, is going to be a letter written from Jesus to us. And so today, we can be asking ourselves again the question, is today's letter a letter from, from Jesus to this church here? Today we've reached the final letter, uh, the letter to the church at Laodicea. And it is, without a doubt, the best known out of all of the seven letters. I've heard this letter preached on in churches many times. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard any of the other letters ever being preached on. Um, Now, I reckon it's so common because of two reasons. Firstly, it has a very well-known verse in it, uh, which, by the way, usually gets taken way out of context and used nothing at all to do with how it was intended. Verse 20 is that verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, you've all heard that verse, hey? Yep. Righto. But we're going to talk more about that verse when we get to it. The second reason I believe this passage is preached on so often is because, well, I'm I'm going to be blatantly honest here. Um, We preachers and ministers, whatever, um, we sometimes get frustrated with our congregations. Did you know that? It's, I know I would never get frustrated with you guys, but, but um, plenty of ministers have been frustrated with me at times when they preach to me, I'm sure, because I've heard this passage preached on so often. And what frustrates us is when the congregation's got no go about them and when we're a really lukewarm church and all we want is, well, God wants us to be a hot church. Well, well what can I do to get the congregation, you know, get them on fire? Well, let's, let's give them the sermon on the, on the church to Laodicea where, you know, oh, they're neither hot nor cold. Um, I think that's probably got a fair bit to do with why I've heard this message so many times. Now, before we get into the letter itself, let's have a bit of a, a lonely planet look at Laodicea. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. Uh, It was the banking capital of Asia, um, and it was a trade centre to boot. If you wanted to make money in Asia, you'd go to Laodicea to do it, because that's where the wealth could be found. Uh, In the the year 60 AD, Laodicea was levelled by an earthquake, and although financial help was offered to them to rebuild... They didn't accept that financial help. Its pride wouldn't let them. They were so wealthy, they they were able to say, nope, we're going to rebuild it ourselves. We can afford to do this. We don't need your help. Um, Yeah, and so they wouldn't accept help from anyone. Now, Laodicea was famous for several products. One of these products was its clothing industry. Uh, The garments that they made from the, from the dark, lustrous wool from their local sheep. And the clothing industry also brought much wealth into their city. Um, 
I think it was really the equivalent of the designer clothes of today. I think if, um, if designer clothes back then had the labels on the outside like they do these days, um, I think you probably would have seen stitched into that into lots of wealthy garments genuine Laodicean product as a, stat, as a badge of status. So the city was famous for its wealth, uh, but it was also famous for its health. And that's what we often find, where the money is, there also is the obsession with quick fixes for our health, where people try to buy their health or they try to buy just a few more years to live. Um, and we see that happening in our own country. Uh, economists in Australia are very rightly concerned about our budget bottom line. As, as our population is getting older and older and being in the wealthy culture is, we are, we're expecting more and more money to be spent on our health and we're actually sending our government broke. We're spending so much money on trying to be as healthy as we can and trying to just stretch another couple of years out of our life or maybe even another couple of weeks out of our life. We're sending our country broke and we're stacking up a bill that our children and our grandchildren aren't ever going to be able to pay off. And because our population are so wealthy, one of the fastest growing industries is the health supplement industry and alternative medicines and, and um, gyms and health and fitness. Uh, we, we, we see all this stuff as important, and maybe it is important, but we spend so much money on it, there's this industry just drawing it in. And Laodicea was a wealthy place, and it also had an obsession with its health. In their city... There was a temple to the god of men, um, M-E-N, um, who was their god of healing. Uh, they were also famous for their pharmaceutical industry. If From Laodicea, you could buy a little tablet, which you could grind up into a fine powder, mix it with a bit of water and turn it into a paste. And then when you applied that to your eyes, it was said to be a remedy for weak and ailing eyesight. They also had a local health spa. A few miles out of town was a natural spring where water would bubble up through the limestone and it would emerge from the earth piping hot and full of minerals. So that's a little bit of a picture of what it's like at Laodicea. Uh, and all of these archaeological details for us will help to make the letter live. So let's have a look at, the, at what the letter itself has to say. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right, out of the seven churches, there were two of them that Jesus had nothing good to say about them. Uh, the first was Sardis, and we had that a while ago. Um, the only good thing that Sardis had was a reputation, which was false. They had a reputation for being alive, but Jesus, well, as far as Jesus was con- concerned, they were just about dead. Um, but now we come to Laodicea. And out of all of the seven churches, Laodicea is in the worst state of the lot of them. Even though Sardis was about to die, Jesus did say to them, well, there are still some there who haven't soiled their garments. Right? There were still some there who had a passion for the Lord, but not in Laodicea. In Laodicea, Jesus couldn't find a single person who had remained faithful within that church. I mentioned verse 20 before, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And, and usually... When we hear that verse being preached on it, it's being used as an evangelical verse representing Jesus knocking on the heart of the unbeliever. And and all they have to do is open the door and believe in him. But sadly, that's not at all what this verse is talking about. Jesus is standing, knocking on the door of a church, begging to be let in. Open the door, let me in. But they're not opening the door to him. Now, does that give you some kind of a picture of just how bad spiritually Laodicea was going? Imagine if Jesus was knocking on the door of this church and none of us would let him in. But we'll come to that later. The letter begins with, with Jesus describing himself as the Amen the faithful and true witness. Now, to say that it is the, the amen, amen, you know, we usually think amen means, right, that's what we say when we're finishing up the prayer. That, that's hanging up the prayer, right? Um, amen, it's all over. But amen actually means truly, indeed, right? So what Jesus is saying here is completely trustworthy. And the words that he is giving are the words of a faithful and true witness. Now, we live in a world today where, where most people take offence so easily, there aren't too many true and faithful witnesses around. We live in a world where we're used to hearing spin on all sorts of level, uh, where something that's awful is made to sound just not quite so bad. And, of course, we always say things that, um, you know, just so that we don't offend somebody. No, no, that dress doesn't make you look fat. Um, right? we, we just never quite own up to the full truth about things. And even most pastors of churches, myself included, find it very difficult to have some honest conversations with people about sin in their life that they might need to repent of um, and about their bad behaviour because we're afraid of offending people. 
And of course, when we offend somebody, they're going to leave the church. How many people do you know who will tell you the honest truth about yourself? Or maybe more to the point, how many people will you allow to tell the honest truth to you? Would you ever even listen to them? Or are we filled with so much self-righteousness and so much pride that, no, we've got all together, we won't listen to you? There's not many people who will tell us the honest truth about ourselves. But Jesus will. He won't flatter us, nor will he denigrate us, but he just tells it like it is. Have you ever felt your life being laid bare before the Lord? When you've been confronted about some truth about yourself? It happens to me all the time. Uh, When I open the Bible and start reading, just so often something will just jump out at me and convict me of my sin and convict me of something which needs to change in my life. Sometimes I I might have even thought that in this area I was actually going okay with God, but then God reveals to me, no, that was all you and you're on the wrong track and you need to repent of this. And you know, I've said to you a number of times before, usually when I write a sermon, the main person that I'm writing to, the main person I'm preaching at, is me. You know that, don't you? You know, I've heard so many, you know, churches, we know, where the minister's been caught in some sin or whatever, and, and then there's this great outcry about, oh, this person used to preach against that sort of thing, and there he is doing it. Well, I want you to know up front... I preach to me nearly every week because the scriptures confront me just as much and maybe more than what they confront you. Jesus will tell us the absolute truth about ourselves. And maybe sometimes you might hear a sermon and be confronted by something, some action that you've been doing, some attitude that you've had that you need to repent of. Well, this is Jesus telling the absolute truth. This is Jesus being a true and faithful witness. So in verse 15, he starts telling the Laodicean church the stark truth. Jesus knows their deeds. He's been watching. And as he's watched them, he's found that they are lukewarm. They are neither hot nor cold. Now, you guys living in St. George... Um, although as I look around, there's not many of you live actually in town. But um, you've all been in town at some stage. You should have some idea of what lukewarm water is all about. So if you live close enough to the bore, when the water gets to you, it's steaming hot still. And, um, and you can actually drink steaming hot water. Um, if you live way, way, way as far as you can get away from the bore, it's probably pretty cool by the time it gets to you. But if you're like us and you're too far away from the bore to have hot water but too close to have cool water, when it gets to you, it's tepid, it's lukewarm and you just can't drink it. Uh, I was thinking about this and and on our farm at Gundawindi, it was the exact opposite way around. Uh, On our farm, we had a semi-artesian bore, which was free-flowing. 
Now, a lot of people don't accept that that can be the case, but that is what it was. It was semi-artesian. It wasn't in the artesian basin. It was semi-artesian, 550 feet deep, but it would push it all the way to the top and along about three kilometres of pipeline before it got, uh, got to our house. Now, when it came up out of the ground... It was just a beautiful, cool temperature. And I loved on a hot day pulling up at the bore, turning on the tap and just having a drink of water straight out of that bore. It was just a beautiful, cool drinking temperature. Uh, it had minerals and stuff in it. I think it was about 50 times the maximum recommended fluoride level. Uh, I've never had a filling, folks, um, probably for that reason. And, um, but you drink that cool water... And it was great. But the pipeline was ripped in by a very shallow ripper uh, with a very little tractor. And so you can imagine it was only about that deep. And with bad melancholy country, um, at, at some places the pipeline was exposed. And so by the time the water got to our house, it had heated up and it was lukewarm. And you'd try to drink it and, and you'd just almost vomit. It was just awful temperature. And that is what Laodicea was like to Jesus. He'd prefer that they were either hot or cold, but because they were lukewarm, he would spew them out of his mouth. He literally said to them that their church makes him sick. Why? Why did the church at Laodicea make Jesus sick? Well, there were two things, indifference and independence. Firstly, indifference. It seems that Laodicea were, were all very respectable church. Um, and as with most of these letters, Jesus here is talking about our witness. It is costly to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And in the eyes of the community, it's, it's hard to be a witness for Jesus and at the same time retain your respectability. And a church that isn't witnessing to the community is a lukewarm church that makes Jesus sick. And he says here something which I find to be very strange and very confronting. He said, I know your works, they are neither cold nor hot, and then he tells them that he would wish that they were either cold or hot and that because they're lukewarm, he's going to spew them out of his mouth. Now, you're seeing what he's saying here. He would rather that they were cold and got out altogether rather than being half-hearted about being his disciples. That's confronting. You know, we might talk about ourselves or we might talk about other Christians in, in terms of them backsliding. And we might say, oh, they still got a faith. They, you know, they just express it in their own quiet way. They, you know, you'll never hear them talking about Jesus, but I'm sure on the inside they believe. Really? Where's the hot in the faith? Lukewarm Christians make Jesus sick. He'd rather that they weren't in a church at all. Now, I don't know why he said that. I, I could guess. You know, if, if true disciples of Jesus would even die witnessing for him, 
Well, when lukewarm becomes the new normality for a church, it's no longer a true witness, is it? The second part of this being lukewarm was their independence. And this might surprise you as well. The church in Laodicea said, I need nothing. I've got everything that I need. What do you think their prayer life would be would be like with an attitude like that? The prayer life of a church is best. It is most powerful. It is most active when a church realises that it has nothing. When a church realises that it has nothing, that's when it begins to pray. And that's when Jesus makes that church rich. And so it seems to me the people of Laodicea were the sort of people who would come to church out of a sense of patronage rather than out of a sense of privilege. Do you know the difference? Patronage says, I support that church. Whereas privilege says, that church supports me. How do you come to church? In a sense of patronage, feeling I've got it all together, I've got everything that I need and I'm going to support that church. Or out of a sense of privilege. I know I'm empty without God. I know I'm poor, I'm hopeless. I need Jesus. I need other Christians. And they support me. The church at Laodicea were the the exact opposite of the church at Smyrna. The church at Smyrna were poor. They were physically poor. But to Jesus they were rich. Physically they had nothing. They were suffering. But spiritually they were rich. They were faithful to God. They had been faithful witnesses. and, and, And they were suffering because of it. But to them, Jesus was going to give them this immense reward. He was going to give them the crown of life. But now here's Laodicea, the exact opposite. Yeah, when looking at with human eyes, we'd say they've got everything going for them, that the church, they're rich, everything's good. And they they knew it themselves. I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. But Jesus said, You don't realise that you're wretched, pitiable, poor blind, naked. Even though they had all these physical blessings, but God doesn't look at all at the physical. He looks at the spiritual. He says, you're wealthy. You think you're wealthy, but you're bankrupt. And you don't even know it. See, they thought that wealthy people were those who had a good bank balance, but truly wealthy people are those who have been refined by God's holy fire. He says, you buy all of this stuff from your town because you're wealthy. Well, come and buy this stuff from me because you're poor. You think you're wealthy, but your wealth isn't going to give you repentance, not going to give you forgiveness of your sins. You're proud of your clothing industry, but... That'll give you clothes for the outside, but come to me and I'll give you white garments. I'll give you purity on the inside. 
You've got all this fancy eye salve that you export to the nations and yet you're going blind. You are blind. Come to me and I'll give you eye salve that will open your spiritual eyes. I'll help you to see things the way that I see them. Verse 19 represents something that we in the church often don't want to hear. Jesus rebukes and disciplines his church. Now remember, we're not just talking about an institution when we talk about the church. We're talking about Christians. And so what we're hearing here is Jesus rebukes and disciplines us. And he doesn't do it because he gets a kick out of it. He does it because he loves us. Until I became a parent and loved my children so much that I had to punish their misbehaviour, I could never truly understand how much Christ must punish a wayward church because he loves it. And so Jesus says to this church, be zealous and repent. Be fair dinkum. And change the way that you live out your Christianity and get passionate about your faith. And that verse 20 that I read before, it has to be to me one of the most confronting verses in the whole passage. I remember how much I was struck the first time I realised that this was written to a church. I've got a picture there of... Light of the World by Holman Hunt. It's probably not bright enough for you to see. You've seen that picture before. Jesus standing at a door ready to knock on it, or he is knocking on it. You can see the door is all overgrown with weeds and it obviously hasn't been opened for a while. Do you also notice that there's no door latch on the outside? The only way it can be opened is from the inside. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is standing at the door of a church and he's knocking. And anyone can let him in, but nobody has. Not a one. Did you know that in a lukewarm church, one person with a hot faith can make all of the difference? And in a church that believes it's all self-sufficient, one person who falls on their knees in repentance and in desperation and starts calling out for God and getting real in their prayer life can make a huge difference to the whole church. One person with a hot faith can shake up the whole show. The story is told of a black man in North America who was visiting another town and he tried to go to church, but they wouldn't let him in. And he sat down on the footpath out the front of that church and he cried. And soon a man dressed in shining white clothes happened past and asked him, why are you crying? To which the black man replied, they won't let me in. And the man in white shining clothes said, I'm not surprised. I've been trying to get in there for years and they won't let me in either. And then he vanished. Jesus is standing at the door of a church and knocking. And the knocking is an invitation for any of the Christians in that church 
to let him in their hearts, to let him reign supreme this time. It's an invitation for any Christians in that church to repent of their self-sufficiency and to fall on their knees before God. Why won't people open the door? I uh, get to visit people at various times and and there's times where you're knocking on the door and, and you won't get let in. Why won't people let you in? Why won't people open the door? Well, sometimes I think they might be too absorbed. Um, sometimes I've gone to visit somebody and I've, I've knocked on the door and they wouldn't come and answer it, I think, because they couldn't hear it. You can hear the television going and the vacuum cleaner going and all this noise happening inside. There's obviously people in there doing things, but no matter how much, how hard you knock on the door and how loud you, you call out, you just can't get their attention. They're just so absorbed in what they're doing. And believe it or not, a church can get so absorbed in what it's doing that they don't even notice that Jesus is knocking on the door. They're so full of their own activities. They're so full of their own programs. But they're not yielded to him. And they don't just take time to delight in him. And they don't depend on him. Another reason people don't answer the door is because they're too afraid. It's a sad state that the world is in when the elderly won't answer their door because they're afraid of some kind of home invasion. But spiritually, Jesus knocks on the door of a church and some people are afraid to let him in. They're afraid of what he is going to require of us. Maybe Jesus might take us down a road that we don't want to be on. Maybe he's going to challenge attitudes within our heart. Maybe we're afraid to lose our safe self-sufficiency that we've been depending on for so long. We might be afraid of the mission that he might send us on. We might be afraid of the public repentance that he might be requiring of us. We may have a fear of failure or a fear of commitment or a fear of depending on somebody other than ourselves. And so some people are too afraid to answer the door when Jesus knocks. We don't need to be afraid of Jesus. Jesus isn't like some kind of travelling salesman who's going to rip us off as soon as he gets his foot in the door. Others won't answer the door because they're too ashamed. Uh, Have you ever heard the doorbell ring, um, but you're in the shower? Oh, I know somebody that was in the shower the other day when I went to visit. Um, but you're in the shower and, and you can't come to answer the door because, well, I'm not dressed or, or you're in the toilet and, and you just, by the time you finish up, they're all gone and, but you're too ashamed to, hang on, just wait, I'm in the loo. You know, um, some people are too ashamed to answer the door. Well, some people feel that they're not good enough to be disciples of Jesus. Some people feel they're not good enough to follow the direction that God is calling them to. You know, if we wait until we are worthy, we're going to be waiting forever. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us, is to make us pure and to make us holy and to make us worthy. And that's why he ascended into heaven, to send to us his Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit in us is the one who is going to be doing God's work, not us ourselves. 
and others won't answer the door because they just don't see any need. They feel they don't need the one who's knocking. They're self-sufficient and they don't want any visitors interfering with that because they've got everything under control. And so some of us may be so filled with pride that we won't even rely on Jesus or rely on his church. And so Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If, if anyone lets him in, they'll have a relationship with him. And it's a two-way relationship. He says, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. There's something special about when you get to sit down and have a meal with someone. When you get to share a meal with someone. That's why it's so important for us as Christians to be inviting people over for lunches and inviting people over for dinners and just spend time with people. You really get to know one another. And if anyone should open the door to Jesus, there is a reward. That was a good kid story that Melissa did before. Talked about the reward that, that one of the sons got because he'd done the will of the father. Even though the others hadn't been naughty, they didn't get that reward. And here Jesus is saying, if you're going to be with me, well, you can be with me on a throne. And that's the letter to Laodicea. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. I guess the question for us today is how do we react when Jesus reproves, when Jesus calls us out, when Jesus disciplines us, when the word of God or when his Holy Spirit reveals our sin. Or when he uses another of God's children to reveal our sin. How do we react to that? When's the last time you went through some serious repentance? What about in the light of what this letter is saying about the sin of self-sufficiency? Instead of depending on Christ, you're depending on yourself. You understand, don't you, that to depend on Jesus Christ means also to, to depend on your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are Jesus' family here on this earth. What about the sin of indifference? Where we believe in Jesus, but we're all very ho-hum about it. I know Christians, even ministers who are far more passionate and more enthused and far more vocal about their footy team than what they are about Jesus. There are Christians who are far more passionate about their farms than they are about Jesus. I know people who are more dedicated to their jobs than they are to Jesus. And I know many who are more committed to their families than what they are to Jesus. Jesus reproves and disciplines those he loves. Is there anyone here who's loved by Jesus? We should expect that Jesus will reprove and discipline us because we're loved by Jesus. How do we respond to his rebuke? How do we respond to his discipline.
Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking. Be zealous, be fair dinkum, be hot for God and repent.